It is good to be here. Uh, thankful for Randy and his leadership on the team, for my family and I. I did go on the trip, despite Meredith's best efforts, apparently, to keep me away. And uh, had a wonderful, wonderful time there. Um, as, as Randy said, in the, the main house we worked at on the first day when we showed up, and uh, 21 of us piled out of a, a bunch of different cars, and we uh, kind of go up to the house, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of, of, of uh, kind of chaos and, and trying to figure out who's going to go where, who's going to do what, assessing what needs to be done um, with the work on the house for Miss Georgia, her daughter Amy, as Randy said, two granddaughters he missed uh, mentioning their three-legged cat who always seemed to be right where we were trying to work. But um, one of the big projects was painting the house and, and once we got a sense of what needed to be done, somebody pulled out a bunch of scrapers and sent the kids around back just to start scraping on the siding and um, they needed some direction and some oversight, and so I, I started giving some instructions, and, and which resulted somehow by default in me turning into the, the painting foreman, um, which would not have been my first choice for the week, but, but by the end of that first day, I, I did have a sense of ownership, felt invested, we're going to get this house painted, and painting an entire house is no uh, small task, as some of you know, we had four days. Four days to do all the siding and the trim and the fascia and the soffits and the gable and the front porch, the columns, the carport. And I had some awesome, awesome help on the painting crew. Some people helped out for 10 minutes and then got bored and walked away. Others for hours and hours at a time for four days in a row. Um, of course, everything needed to be scraped and cleaned. All the seams needed to be caulked. The bare wood needed to be primed. And then our goal was for everything to get two coats. Um, and... Uh, when I was not reminding Joe to make sure he stirred the paint before we let anybody pour it, when I was not asking Sarah if she was sure she didn't need a break, um, I spent most of the week on an extension ladder um, doing the, the eaves and the gables, and I never knew my knees could hurt so bad from being on an extension ladder, but leaning on that rung above, above you uh, uh, wore, wore, out, wore out my knees. By the end of the third day, looking at what we had to get left on the last day, I, I knew that the only way we were going to get done was if we got help from, from other people. Uh, otherwise, I didn't think there was any way we were going to finish in that last day. And so I said, Lord, you know, when people finish up their other projects, we're going to need them to jump onto the, the painting crew. And that's exactly what God orchestrated. And so one by one, as people finished up other jobs, they picked up a, a brush and finished up the, the porch and the, and the carport. Um, four days, I calculated somebody about somewhere around 130 man hours of painting got done. Um, nearly everybody on the trip picked up a brush at one point or another. And as you saw in those pictures earlier, it looks good. It does look good. Of course, in two years, it'll all need to be done over again. But for now, it looks good. Now, here's the thing. Um, this house that Miss Georgia owned is not my house. I was not getting paid to be there. and I will likely never see that house again. And it would have been very easy to show up and just slap a coat of paint on everything and call it a day, but that wasn't how any of us were going to do the work. We were going to serve this family well. Um, and so we all had this sense of responsibility, right? To, a sense of responsibility to do the best that we could. We were there to serve this family in need, but more than that, to serve our master, to serve Jesus. We were servants. But, but ultimately, we weren't working for Miss Georgia or Mountain Heritage Missions. We were serving the Lord. And, and, and even more than servants, I believe the Lord called us to be stewards that, that day. That's the concept we're going to talk about this morning as we continue in our parable series. This idea that we are, are the Lord's stewards. A steward is somebody who manages property, who manages finances, or, or a household. Now the idea of, of a steward was common 
in the Roman world, but it's not very common for us today. There's a difference between an employee and a steward. A steward is somebody that's been entrusted with the responsibility by the owner. They're not just getting paid to do a job. They're trusted. The steward is not the owner, but he or she takes ownership of the task, right? This is, this is mine. The owner knows me and trusts me, has given this task to me. And that was how we tried to, I believe, approach not just the painting, but all the work that we've done. We knew that the Lord had invested in us. And, and, and I know I can say I felt the weight of responsibility to do this job well, to honor him, not only to paint, but to minister to the family. And we spent many, many times, much of the time connecting and, and encouraging and relating uh, to the homeowners. And the parable we're going to read this morning is about an owner who entrusts his property to his servants. He's going away on a trip. He entrusts his his servants to steward his property while he's away. You can turn to Matthew 25 where we're going to read this parable this morning. We've been going through parables this summer, stories of the kingdom. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24 and 25 really is a, a unit. Um, it's, it's all part of one disc, discourse that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. And it's all about the coming of the kingdom. Jesus there in this section is preparing his disciples for what is to come. And he's talking about the destruction of the temple. He's talking about his return at the end of the age. And he tells his disciples again and again in these two chapters to be ready, to be prepared, to stay alert for his return, for the tribulation that's going to precede it. And he's giving them several parables, several analogies to help them understand how they need to be prepared for his return and for the coming of the kingdom. And he says in 24, it's like a flood. You have to be ready because you don't know when the Lord is returning. He says it's like a thief coming in the night. So you need to stay awake because the son of man is coming when you don't expect it. Jesus says that his coming will be like the head of a servant who's been given responsibility over a household. And when the master returns, he better not find the the head servant rebelling and abusing his authority. He says it's like ten bridesmaids who wait around all day, night and night for the groom to arrive. And when the bridegroom finally does come, several of them are not prepared and they find themselves without any oil in their lamps. Again and again, Jesus is telling us these parables to help us prepare for his return. And so in in Matthew 24, picking up in verse 14, where we're going to read this morning, we get this parable of faithful stewards. What's often called the parable of the talents, but I believe it centers upon the call to be faithful stewards. And so we're going to read this morning this parable. I'll read it in two different sections. And uh, why don't we pray and ask the Lord for help before we read and dive in. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we learn so much from life, from nature, from one another, from the wisdom of saints that have come before us. But ultimately we return again and again to our grounding, our foundation, to the word of God, to the truth of Christ. We thank you for, for these stories, these teachings of our master Jesus. And we pray now as we read, as we unpack that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that this parable... This analogy would speak life into our hearts, that you'd call us to responsibility and obedience out of a a desire to serve and love the one who has served and loved us. Come Holy Spirit now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For it, Jesus says in verse 14, the, the coming of the kingdom, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. 
But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. All right, I'm going to pause there for now and leave you on the edge of your seat if you don't know the end of the story. Right? So this wealthy landowner is going on a long journey and he's got property and servants and, and houses and livestock and farming and, and, and financial uh, wealth. And, and so he, preparing to go away, calls his servants together and those who, who are the heads of his estate. And he wants them to stay behind and to care and to manage his property and his assets. And so he entrusts them with his property and his wealth to manage as stewards while he's gone. And it says in verse 15 that he gives each of them talents. Now this is a a confusing word, right? He didn't give them talents. He didn't like confuse them with the ability to juggle or play the mandolin. Okay, this is a, this is a transliteration of a Greek word. The Greek word talenton, somewhere along the line, just got transliterated when you take a word from a foreign language and just make it sound like an English word into talent. So talent, a talenton was originally a measure of weight, like an ounce of gold or silver, That became a standard unit of money. Okay, by the first century, a talent was equivalent to a large sum of money, about 20 years wages for a common laborer. Scholars estimate roughly around $600,000 in our day, right? So this is no small potatoes. The first talent, the first servant gets five talents. He gets 62% of the master's estate, about $3 million. The second servant is given the responsibility to oversee and manage two talents, about 25% of the estate, about $1.2 million. The third servant gets one talent. Seems like he gets gypped, only 13% share, but it's still a half a million dollars of property and assets that he is responsible to manage and oversee and care for. These are lavish, large sums of money. The, these servants are trusted. They are trusted to steward the wealth and the property of the landowner. Now, verse 16, we read that the five-talent servant immediately takes the assets. It says he traded with them. Literally, the Greek says he put the money to work. So maybe he traded with the assets on the market, or maybe he bought more property, or he invested in businesses. Maybe he loaned it out and collected interest. He put the money to work, and what happened? He doubled it. During the time that his master was away, he doubled those assets. In 17, we see that the two-talent servant did the same thing. He doubled what had been entrusted to him. Now, in verse 18, the one-talent servant, he was nervous. He was too nervous to do anything with it. And so he just dug a hole and stuck the money in the hole and to keep it for safekeeping until the master returned. Now, all of this, of course, is a parable of the kingdom. It's meant to teach us something about the kingdom of God, specifically about the return of Jesus. Jesus has gone away. He's ascended back up into heaven. And the parable is instructing us to live a certain way as we wait for his return. Christ is our master. We are his servants. And as stewards, we have been entrusted with, you might say, the kingdom assets, with property, to manage what the Lord has entrusted to us until the return of Christ. Entrusted, as it says there in the passage, entrusted means that, that you have been given something, you've put something into the hands of another person, you've given them custody, you've entrusted them with, with it. You still own it, but, but they are, they now have custody of it to take care of it. As Christians, guys, we need to think of us, we have many identities. We need to think of ourselves in many ways. We're God's children. We're also God's soldiers, God's ambassadors, God's disciples, God's farmers. In, in this sense, I want us to think of ourselves as asset managers. I know it doesn't sound like a very spiritual way to think of yourself as a Christian. An asset manager manages the financial investments for someone else. And, and that is, that is one of the ways that God sees us 
as stewards of his assets. What assets have you and I been entrusted with? Well, one of them is quite simply, as we read in the parable, possessions. Right? Each of us have money. We have bank accounts. We have income. You may get a year-end bonus. You might get an inheritance from a family member. We, we manage the possessions the Lord has entrusted to us. We manage our time and energy. Each of us have the same amount of time, 24 hours a day, but we get more of it. Some might get 60 years worth of those days, or 70 or 80 years. You have a certain amount of, of physical and mental energy to expense in each of those 24-hour days. Most of us, in the course of our lifetime, will be entrusted somewhere in the neighborhood of 650,000 hours that God has said here. This is my time. I'm entrusting these many hours to you for your life. We've been entrusted with gifts and with skills. Maybe some of you here this morning are good with people. Some of you just irritate everybody around you, but you're good with your hands. Maybe you're super creative. Maybe you don't have a creative bone in your body, but you are steady and you stick through projects to the end. Some of you maybe have a college degree or maybe you have a professional certification. Maybe you don't have either of those things, but you've got more life experience than you could get in a degree. We've been entrusted with people. For those of you that have been married, that are married, you've been entrusted with your spouse. Those that have children, God has entrusted those children into your care, your family, your friends. We've been entrusted with, with, with the gospel, with biblical truth. Now you can treat all of these things that I've just mentioned like they're yours and do with them what you want. And you can be responsible or be irresponsible and think, well, pff, what does it matter? It's my time. It's my money. They're my kids. It's my possessions. My college degree that I earned, I can do with it what I want. Or you can view them as they really are, because each of these things that I've mentioned belong to the Lord. And he they are His, and He's entrusted them to you. He is the owner, and you are the steward of your possessions, your time, and your energy, your gifts, your skills, the people in your life. Your time, your talent, your treasures belong to God. And I believe He's calling us to view ourselves as stewards of the master. And I think that would change the way that we live if we think about each aspect of our life as ultimately belonging to God, him entrusting us, giving us that responsibility, right? How would you drive someone else's car? Where where's Caleb? Caleb, you in here? Did you did you drive the Lewis's car a little more carefully than you probably would have driven your own car? Yeah, you did, right? Cuz it didn't belong to you. You were entrusted with that responsibility. How about if you were called to paint somebody else's house? Would you would you be a little more careful? Scrape a little more carefully, make sure everything was caulked, make sure you had good coats on there cuz this is somebody else's house. When you babysit somebody else's kids, be honest. Aren't you a little bit nicer? <laughs> right? Like don't you treat them a little bit like you're not going to lose your temper with somebody else's kids? Because they don't belong to you. You've been entrusted with the responsibility to care for them. That is how we need to view every asset, every resource that the Lord has given to us. Now, like in the parable, we have not all been entrusted with the same assets. Some have five, some have two, some have one talent. And I'm, I'm not talking about your talents. Although to some extent that's true as well. But as I said, some of us will live longer. Some of us will have more time on this earth. Some of us are simply physically stronger. We have more energy. Some of us have more money. We have been entrusted with more possessions. Some of us have more gifts and more skills than others. Now, we read in the parable that this distribution isn't random. What does it say in verse 15? It says that the way that the master distributes the assets is based on his assessment of the servant's ability. 
See, he gave to each of his stewards the amount of money he thought they were capable of handling. The gifts and the resources that have been entrusted to you are specific to you. They have been assigned to you personally, according to your ability, your capacity, your gift, your energy. Romans 12 says that we should assess ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to each of us. Don't assess yourself according to what God has assigned to someone else. Hebrews 2.4 says that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been distributed according to His will. The will of God has given you the gifts, the skills, the opportunities that you have. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are we are called to, to live as good stewards of God's grace that is varied. It's, it varies among each of us. Friends, think about what you've been entrusted with. Some of you have one child. I always correct somebody when I say, how many kids do you have? And they say, oh, just one. I say, please don't say just. That one child is a gift from the Lord. Some have one, some have six. Some make $50,000 a year. Some make $150,000 a year. No matter what the Lord has given you, be grateful and be content. See, some are jealous of those that have more than them. You know, if I had what they had, I could truly make an impact. If I just had the financial resources or the kind of time or the kind of health or the kind of strong marriage or the kind of obedient kids or the kind of opportunity, you know, I could really make a difference. Some people are jealous. Some people go the other way and they begrudge those that have less. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You think, I just wish my life were simpler. Didn't wish I had so much to manage and to worry about. If I didn't have all this responsibility, if I was more free, if God hadn't given me so much to take care of, life would be so much better. Don't be jealous. Don't begrudge. Simply trust God. Simply trust God with what He has entrusted to you. And be a faithful steward until the day of His return, whether that's tomorrow or a hundred years from now. We've each been given assets. The reality is most of us in this room have been given much By most standards of the world, we have been given much. We are blessed. At the end of a similar similar parable in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from him who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Be grateful. Be thankful. Take seriously what God has entrusted to you. I think about our brother, our brother Todd, that was on the missions trip with us, a lifelong friend of, of Ron Wooline. Todd came on the, the trip uh, last year. Todd was in a, a major uh, vehicle accident 10 years ago that resulted in him being in a coma for a month. He woke up and, and could only move his, his head. He was paralyzed from the neck down. Gradually, through therapy and, and through the Lord's healing and the medical community, he regained the majority of his movement back, but he's still left with some permanent paralysis. And he, he was in the construction trade. He used his body and his, his arms and his legs to, to build and now there's much that he cannot do. He came on the trip and he did so much uh, uh, advising and, and, and direction, but, but also would, would measure and cut and help out on the ground. But I said to him one night, I said, Todd, you ever get frustrated with what you can't do? And he said, absolutely. He said, but I, but I trust the Lord. He said, I know my life is in the Lord's hands and he wouldn't have, have, have brought me back to life and giving me this life if he didn't have a plan. And he, he said something interesting. He just said, I'm, I'm excited to see what the Lord has for me. I'm just excited to see how the rest of my life go, goes and what God's going to do. Because he knows that his, his life has been entrusted back to him. That even though physically he's not capable of doing all that he could do. And that his, his mind and his heart desires to do more than his body at times can. 
but he's full of faith and full of hope. And just when I thought after the second day, surely that man has run out of one-liners to lighten the mood. They just kept coming. A faithful steward. A faithful steward. Let's pick back up in the parable and see what happens when the master returns in verse 19. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. A little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. The parable ends on a a hard word. Before we get there, look back up at verse 19. The the master returns after a long time, it says, to settle accounts. That that phrase there, after a long time, I don't know, maybe Jesus kind of giving us a little hint that his return is going to seem delayed. Doesn't it at times seem delayed? But, But he is coming back. In verse 20, we see that the first servant that was given five talents, he came forward, he announced that he had doubled his earnings, he has five more, and the master is overjoyed and says to him, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over what I've given you, and so I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more responsibility. Come, serve me in my kingdom. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing with the second in verse 22. Been given two talents. He doubled his master's investment. He invested and traded and, and oversaw the property in a wise way. And, and so we get the same joyful response. Well done, well done, good servant, faithful steward of all that I have entrusted to you. Come share my joy. Let's celebrate together. It's interesting that the master's praise is the same to both servants, right? It's not important how much they had been given. It's not important how much they had earned. What's important is that the, the servants were faithful. They had invested wisely. They had lived up to their potential, you might say. And so the master is overjoyed. And they get a reward. You see what the reward is? More work. Right? Isn't that what happens? You prove yourself faithful in the construction industry. And they say, okay, now we're going to give you a bigger job to supervise. And more contractors and more staff and a bigger budget. And God says the same thing to us. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying if I, if I prove faithful in my life, then my reward is going to be more work to do? Like, can't I just have like an eternity on a cruise ship where everybody else serves me? <laughs> I believe this is an indication of what we see other places in Scripture, that in all likelihood, in all likelihood that eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth is, is going to be similar to life 
here on earth. It's not just going to be floating in the clouds with harps. There's going to be activities and relationships and responsibilities and and jobs. And we're going to serve alongside of the Lord for all of eternity in his eternal kingdom. See, the master is returning one day, friends, and he's going to settle accounts with each of us. Every man and every woman will one day have to give an account for how they lived, whether right or wrong. And Christians, we are told in the New Testament, will have to give an account an account for how they invested the assets that were entrusted to you. And the Lord calls us and expects us to be faithful stewards. That means with your time and your money and your energy and your family and your education and your training and your wisdom to be responsible, to invest well, to be a wise steward. Now, some of you are like, man, that is super intimidating. Like, I'm barely holding it together. I'm, I'm barely keeping out of debt. I'm barely keeping my family together. I, I've received my, my third verbal warning this quarter at work. I'm barely keeping my job. And now you're saying i got to stand before God and give an account? Let me remind you of something first as, as we unpack this concept. Christian, the debt of sin has been canceled. You stand before your father forgiven and washed clean. Son or daughter of the holy God, if you have faith in him, if you have received Christ as your savior, you are forgiven and through his resurrection you are born again. You are adopted. You stand before him as a son or a daughter. The grace of God is overflowing. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. If you are in Christ, you are fully accepted and there is nothing that can change that. Your status as God's son or daughter, couldn't be any more certain than it already is. So take a breath and have peace. But the New Testament also says that while we are accepted and our status as God's children is set, that how we live our lives determines God's approval of us. While our status as his child cannot change, our standing as his servant is impacted by the way that we live, by the way that we serve and invest, and manage, and steward what God has been given to us. You are His beloved child, and that will not change. But how you live your life impacts your standing. You will always be accepted through the work of Christ. But will God approve of of you? Will He approve of you if you're irresponsible, if you're sinful? If you turn from Him, if you disregard His will, if you live selfishly, we cannot confuse those concepts between God's acceptance unconditionally in Christ and God's approval with the way that we steward what's been given to us. And so while it's only by the grace of God that any of us will enter into eternity, the New Testament is clear that when Christ returns, we will have to give an account. We'll have to give an account for how we lived our lives. Look at some of these New Testament passages. Look at Romans fourteen twelve. Each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Peter 1.17 If you, if you, Christian, call him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, therefore we're called to conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Not fear of of punishment, but fear of of a loving, gracious master that is entrusted to us. That will judge us impartially according to our deeds. And so we are called to live as faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. Both those small assets and those large overwhelming things that you know you cannot handle. 
on your own. Every moment, the large things like your bank account, the super-duper large things like your children, and those small moments, that first five minutes when you get home from work, that first five minutes when you wake up and you're, and you're grumpy because you haven't had coffee yet, that, that extra $10 that you find in the pocket when you're cleaning out your laundry, the big and the little. Randy mentioned that, you know, at the end of a long work day, we drive back to the old schoolhouse and we get cleaned up and then we walk across the street to the church fellowship hall for a good home-cooked southern dinner. And I was worn out at the end of every day and I was ready to pig out. And I felt like, you know what, I've, I've done my serving for the day, like I've, I've honored the Lord, I've given selflessly, now it's time to eat, to rest, to be left alone, right? Anybody identify with that? Well, this one night, we're standing in line, the, the buffet line, and uh, one of the, the ministry staff, young man by the name of Austin, was standing behind the table, and he was kind of doing one of these, you know, kind of wincing, and I could tell that there was something wrong. And I thought, well, that stinks, and I turned to get my food. But the Lord wouldn't let me do that, and, and I knew that Austin needed someone to come alongside of him and maybe pray with him. I just didn't want to be the one to do it, but finally, I, I said, Austin, what, what's the matter? He said his back hurt, and I asked him a, about it. He told me how years earlier he had, he had been working in a factory and fallen off a ladder and, and hurt his back, and ever since, he dealt with back pain, and so... Uh, again, I, I thought, you know, well, I hope he's okay, and my mind was on eating. But again, the Lord uh, stirred me and, and felt like, okay, okay. I said, Austin, can we pray together? And so there we were, standing in the kitchen, no music, no fanfare. I just put my hand on his back, and, and, I, and I prayed. I said, Lord, give, give my brother faith. Give him faith to have patience, to, to have peace in the midst of his pain. And then I prayed and, and so said, Lord, would you heal him? Would you take away his pain? And we said, amen. And I got my food and ate my dinner and didn't think too much about it. But the next day, Austin told me that, that the Lord had immediately answered our prayer. That his back pain had dissipated. He slept through the night, slept peacefully and soundly in a way that he had not for years. What a, yeah, praise God. And I, and I tell you that story because it's just a, just a small indication of that, you know, five minutes of my time, five minutes of my energy, five minutes of my care that I, honestly, I didn't, I didn't want to give. But, but I was able to step out and able to offer that little bit, say, God, as a steward, I'm going to give this to you. And look what the Lord did. And we're called to live our lives in dozens of daily, moment by moment decisions. And you can choose to be selfish, to be, to be numb, to be worldly, or we can choose to, to give what the Lord has given to us for His kingdom. And it might just be a small prayer. It might just be a few minutes. It might just be a few words. But think about your possessions that the Lord has entrusted to you. And, and, and most of us have two, three cars. Some of us have multiple houses. Some of us have more in the bank than you will need for ten lifetimes. We all have time. The Lord's not going to give you more time. He's given you 24 hours a day for as many days as He sees fit. It's all the time that you need. You have energy to steward. Craig always tells me it's not just about managing your time, it's about managing your energy. We've been given gifts and skills and education and training. We have been entrusted with people, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your friends, with your neighbors, 
All of these things God has given to us. And He says, put them to work. See them multiply for my kingdom. And see, when Jesus returns, my heart's desire is to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that the longing of your heart? For Jesus to look you in the eyes and say, I love you. Come into my kingdom. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to put you in charge of even more. Enter into the joy of the master. What a blessing. What a blessing that day to hear that words, to be invited to share in Christ's joy, to celebrate with him, to serve alongside of him. That's our call as servants, as stewards. Again, we hear from God's word in 1 Corinthians 4. Listen to what the apostle Paul says. This is how one should regard us. How should we be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God? One of the greatest things that we've been entrusted with is the gospel. The truth of Christ, the hope of Christ. We are stewards of that mystery, that gospel truth. Verse 2 says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We're called to be faithful with all that the Lord has entrusted to us. And when the Lord comes, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Friends, you may be cast aside. You may never be appreciated or valued in your home or in your workplace. There's only one person whose commendation you need, and that's the master. That's your creator. That's our father in heaven. Of course, as the end of the parable shows, not everyone is commended for being a faithful steward. We we come to verse 24, the, the hard account of this guy that was only given one talent. You sort of wonder what he was thinking walking up to the master, don't you? After the other two doubled their profit and he's like, and he says, uh, here you go. You gave, you gave me one talent. I'm, I'm giving it back. And he tries to give a little explanation. He says, I know you're a hard man, a harsh man. He says, you harvest crops even in places where you didn't plant, right? It means that this, this master is frugal. He runs a tight ship. He wants every speck of grain picked up. If he didn't plant it, it's on the edge of the woods. That's okay. Servants, go pick that up. We'll harvest that and sell that as well. And so the servant says, I was afraid. I was afraid of losing your investment. And so I hid what you gave me in the ground. He says, here it is. It's, it's, it's still nice and safe. Exactly what you gave me. And the master responds in verse 26, you lazy, worthless servant. If you knew that I ran a tight ship and harvest every last bit of grain, even from the places I didn't plant, you should have known better. You should have at least deposited my money in the bank and, and allow, allowed me to at least get a little bit of interest off the investment. Showed some degree of responsibility and stewardship. See, burying the money didn't do anybody any good. The master could have just as easily buried it himself. But the point was, no, he was entrusting this asset to the steward. He was entrusting it to him but he made no use of it. I mean, think about that for a minute. You, you give some of your retirement funds to a financial planner, financial manager. You come back 10 years later and the financial planner says, yep, all good, all safe and sound. Hit every penny that you gave me under my mattress and go home right now and get, get it and give it back to you if you want. What? You hid it under your mattress? You didn't, you didn't grow the investment? I entrusted this to you for the last decade and you have nothing to show for it? You can understand the master's frustration, even anger. And so in verse 28, the master takes away the one talent from the lazy servant and he gives it to the one who had the most. And he says in verse 29, everyone who responsibly handles the assets he's been given will be given more. He'll have an abundance. But the one who's not been a faithful steward, who's been lazy, been irresponsible, even what he has will be taken away. 
And so tragically in verse 30, we see that the worthless servant is cast into the outer darkness. This, this parabolic image of, of, of eternal punishment that we read in the scriptures. A place where there's weeping, where there's despair, where there's grinding of teeth and frustration. See, this last servant was not a part of the master's kingdom. He proved that he was not a steward because he neglected his duties. Why? He didn't truly know the master. He didn't know the heart of the master. He didn't trust the master. He was not living for the master's good. He was living in fear of the master. He was not part of the kingdom. And so he was cast out. And so again, we ask as we wrap up, what kind of steward are you and I? Are we managing God's assets responsibly? How are we investing all that's been given to us? Remember, everything that you have, all your time, all your money, all your resources, all the relationships, all the truth, all the knowledge that you've worked hard for, that you've earned, has been given to you, entrusted to you by God in heaven. You're the steward, not the owner. Your time and energy and money and possessions and gifts and skills and family and friends and the gospel and the truth of Scripture. And, and the account of this last servant is intended to be a warning for you and I. Let's, let's not skim past the, the warning. Each of us are awaiting for the return of Jesus, whether we think about that every day or not. And there are, there are I believe, five different approaches to living this life as God's steward. And the, the first is, is what we see here in the, the servant, is, is fearful hoarding. And you can live your life and just bury what God has given you. And you can live your life doing as little as possible, taking no risks, not trying, not pouring yourself into other people, not stepping out in faith, just afraid and hoarding time and energy, hoarding all that the Lord has given you. Second way to live your life is, is selfish spending. This is sort of the opposite, you could say, where you just live for yourself and you selfishly waste whatever God has given you. And your time and your energy and your money and your gifts are exactly that in your mind. They're yours. And they're to be used for my pleasure, used for my desires, my own happiness. God, you stay away and you live your life just selfishly spending all that God's given you. The third way to live your life is, is what I call lazy storing. And this is different than fearful hoarding. It's not particularly afraid. You're not afraid of losing what God has given to you. You're not particularly selfish. You know what? You just don't care. You're, you're just lazy. You're apathetic. You just don't care. And, and you will never put on a, a pair of Nikes. Because your motto is not just do it. Your motto is just don't. Path of least resistance. The fourth way to live your life is, is what I call brash risk-taking. And you are always moving, always spending, always trying new things. The riskier, the better. The more people that tell you, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. That just fires you up, right? And you're always doing things, but you know what? You're never pausing to pray. You're never pausing to listen to wise counsel. You're never thinking about the consequences. And so much of what you've been given, much of what you've been invested with gets lost. Because of just brash risk-taking. Of course, the fifth way, the point of the parable, is what I call responsible investing. To wisely put all the resources that God has entrusted to you to work. To honor the Lord. To honor the Lord as the master of your time. The master of your talent. The master of your treasure. Every decision, every thought, every word is done to honor Him. To reflect His love and His generosity and His wisdom. 
And so you seek to capitalize on the time that you have, the energy that you have. Your desire is to serve the kingdom, serve the church, to share your gifts, to give generously, to take what the Lord has given to you and to multiply it. That your children, that your friends, that your business opportunities, that your investment would be used for the kingdom. A life of generosity and wisdom and service and humility and faith in the Lord Jesus. Every day, every moment, no matter how much or how little in your mind you've been entrusted with. Whether you're physically strong or whether your body is ailing. Whether you have a a healthy, strong marriage and a spouse that supports you. Whether you're divorced or separated or widowed. Whether you've got a, a profitable job. Whether you have influence over dozens of people under you. Whether you work by yourself or whether you're on disability. Whatever the Lord has entrusted to you. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Now, it may seem like a long time. It may seem like the master is delayed in coming back. But just like in the parable, he's coming back exactly when the time is right. We're all going to meet Jesus one day, either at our death or at his return. And we're all going to give an account to the resources and responsibilities that have been entrusted to us. To us. And we'll have to settle accounts one day to give an account for all that you've been entrusted with. And again, I... I Call us to those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enjoy your master. Enter into the joy of your master. And so the call this morning is to be wise, to be productive, to be careful with your gifts, to live for him. As that old poem says, we only have one life and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But as the worship team comes and as we close with a song, I, I want to do say one more thing. This is not meant to feel like a weight or a, a burden. Some of you have heard this message and you, you just feel overwhelmed. You feel intimidated. You feel heavy. You may even feel like, God, I'm failing. The reality is, hear this word of hope, you cannot be a faithful steward. You cannot be a faithful steward to a faithful God without His grace, without His power, without His Holy Spirit. And so the call today as we enter into a closing time of worship is to cry out to Him for His grace. The same grace that brought you to Christ the day of your new birth is the same grace that's going to carry you every day in obedience and in faithfulness. By His Spirit, by His power, by His grace. You need Him every day to be a faithful steward of what He's entrusted to you. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. He just reminded Timothy that Christ has abolished death and brought us to light in the new life of Christ. We've been saved by the power of God, not by our own works. And listen to these words in 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul writes, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I love that. Whom? Believing Jesus is the call of the Christian life. And I am convinced that he, that Jesus is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Do you you see that? Do you hear that? Until that day, that's the day of Christ's return. Jesus will, will guard what has been entrusted to me. And yes, the call is for us to be faithful, to be obedient, to be a good steward. But the whole time, Jesus himself is guarding, his Holy Spirit is guarding in you what has been given to you. Rest in that. 
He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How are you going to guard the good deposit? How are you going to walk out of here and guard the deposit and be a steward of the deposit that's been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit? So let's stand together now and pray and plead that the Holy Spirit would fill us and empower us. God in heaven, we lift this song of praise up to you. We surrender ourselves to you. We surrender all that we have to you, our time, our talent, our treasures. God, we confess that that this is intimidating. We confess that we don't feel up to the task. And so we thank you that Jesus guards us. We thank you that the Spirit is with us. That all that you've entrusted to us, you will guard. You've given these things to us, not to overwhelm us, but because you know it's what we need. You know it's what we're capable of. And so we lay before you our bank accounts. We lay before you our calendars. We lay before you our family life, our children, our marriages, our work. In all the small ways that we make decisions every day. And all of the large choices we may have coming up in the days and weeks and decades to come. We surrender to you. We ask you to fill us, to lead us, to empower us by your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have welcomed us into your kingdom. And we ask now for the grace and the strength to be faithful. To walk and to live for you. Multiply your kingdom in us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name.